Hey, good morning, Bridge Church. How you guys feeling this morning? You good? You look good. Hey, Joshua chapter 24, if you have a Bible. Um, oh, there you are. Now I can see your beautiful faces. Look at your neighbor say, you look good. Joshua chapter 24, if you have a Bible. I just want to take a moment real quick to just say welcome. Thanks so much for coming and joining us this weekend. Um, thank you so much for just spending some of your time with us. We know that life is busy. There's so much going on. We think it's so cool that you chose to spend some of your time with us, whether you're in the room or watching online. One of our favorite things here at the bridge is meeting new people. And maybe you're new to the bridge. Maybe you're newer to the bridge. I just want to really quick tell you about something happening next week. Somebody say next week. Next week, we've got something called Connecting Point happening. If you're new to the bridge, maybe this is even your first time, you want to learn the mission, the vision, the heart of the bridge and how you can get involved, where you can get plugged in, Connecting Point is for you. It happens during our 1130 service right over here in our music and arts room. We're calling it MP2 now. I'm sorry. It's not the music and arts room. It's MP2 right to your right, my left-hand side. Um, at the 1130 service, you'll get to meet the pastors. You'll get to um, hear the vision, the mission of the church. And just figure out how you can get plugged in. Just go online to thebridgechurch.tv to sign up. Since this is uh, Youth Summer Week and the conclusion of our youth conference, I think it's just only fitting that we welcome our guests the way that we do every single week at youth. Um, most of our students and team will be here in the second service, but there's enough in the room that can pull this off for me. You guys just have to be a little bit extra loud. We like welcoming our guests every week at youth by saying we are here to build you up, not... Yeah, we're here to build you up, not beat you up. You don't have to believe to belong here. We're just so excited that you joined us this morning. Hey, can we just welcome our first-time guest here to church? Hey, so anybody who maybe doesn't know me, my name's Corey, alongside my wife of 13 years, who is currently over in Bridge Kids teaching in our elementary school room. We have the privilege and the honor of being the next-gen pastors here at the Bridge. So that means that we oversee um, college, high school, junior high, and kids ministry. We absolutely love it, and we believe in the next generation so much. I'm going to do this in second service again, but really quick, um, this weekend, our team Team. They are the dream team. They put in the work, and I just want to shout them out, say thank you. Can you just help me in thanking our youth team? They're amazing. Um, has anybody ever heard of a guy named Ronald Wayne? That's about the response I think that I thought I would get. Anybody heard of Steve Jobs? Okay, of course. Um, Ronald Wayne was one of the guys who co-founded Apple alongside Steve Jobs. Only Ronald Wayne, only days in, sold his 10% share of the company for $2,300. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because, like me, you're probably thinking, I'm going to Google 10% of Apple, and what would that be today? I'll save you the Google search. It would be $95 billion. B, B, billion dollars with a B. Man, I just stop and I think Ronald Wayne could not see the value and the potential of that which was right in front of him. So now in Pahrump, Nevada, uh, he collects stamps and coins. <laughs> I think that the enemy right now, today is specializing in stealing our ability to see the value and the potential of something very specific, family. This morning, uh, at the conclusion of this series, Have Heart, I want to preach a message to you entitled, A Heart for My Family. 
a heart for my family. I am a youth pastor, so I do something called, um, the majority of the time that I preach, I preach to teenagers. So I almost always do something called a sermon in a sentence. Because how many people with teenagers know that teenagers have the attention span of a goldfish? Amen. So, uh, so if you get nothing else, if you forget everything else that I say, if you, if you don't get the illustration I'll do on a trampoline in a second, or if you don't get the illustration I do where I'll play with fire in a second, I'm a youth pastor, you gotta give me grace. I won't play with fire, I'll just light some candles and do a little illustration. If you leave with nothing else, leave with this. Your family is worth fighting for. Somebody say amen. Your family is worth fighting for. It just seems to me, like, Corey, why would you preach this message on a Sunday morning? Because this, like Pastor Gary was saying, is not a message just for young people. This is a message for great-grandparents and grandparents, for moms and dads, for single moms and single dads, for kids and grandkids. This is a message for the entire family that's been cooking in my heart for months. So why would you preach this message, Corey? This is why. Because I just really feel like right now, today, the enemy has launched this full-scale attack on families. And I think, I think that it's about time that the people of God got back into the fight, that we got back into the ring, and that we realized that our families are worth fighting for. Amen? Here's my goal this morning. I want you to know from the forefront of this message, I have a goal and I have an agenda. This is it. That every single one of us would leave this place in just a few minutes with a little more fight in our hearts. So, in that vein, with a little fight in your heart, would you just shove your neighbor? I'm just kidding. Don't shove your neighbor. In youth, I joke like that, and all of a sudden, the brothers and sisters are, like, fighting in the seats. Um, But one of the things that we do in youth as we're jumping into Joshua chapter 24, um, we stand when we read God's word just as a way of communicating to teenagers how valuable God's word is. So would you stand in the honor of the reading of God's word? Just a couple verses. We're just going to read the entire Old Testament Genesis. Just kidding. All right, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. I chose this verse for literally one reason, a famous passage that you'll hear at the very end, and they're fighting words. Here's what it says. Joshua says this. It says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. We don't do anything half-heartedly, not the people of God. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors The ones they worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the... There's like sarcasm in this, I can tell. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Those are fighting words. Before you sit down, let's pray a very long and very spiritual prayer. God, speak to us. Amen. Grab a seat. Um, have, you ever had, have you ever had a very overly simple situation become overly complicated? You ever meet somebody who overcomplicates everything? You know, guys, like when you ask your wife where she wants to eat, <laughs> she's, like, she's like, it's not that simple. You're like, it is that simple. Um, 
I remember it was, it was very soon after Amber and I had gotten married, about 12 years ago. We were just a few months into marriage, a few months into ministry, and we're sitting in a, a staff meeting section with all the interns that we were helping to lead and this youth ministry and the current youth pastor that we were kind of serving under. And we're getting ready and gearing up for a junior high Bible club uh, launch beginning of the year thing that we used to do. We used to have like 200 junior hires coming to this, uh, this Christian club on this campus. And every year we would kick off the, the school year by doing this big pizza party. I literally got saved because of free pizza and Jesus on the cross. So we would do like free pizza and, and we would do this thing where the youth pastor at the time, he would take a phone book and he'd rip it in half. It was so like cliche. It was so cheesy. He'd be like, and God can give you the strength to run, you'll get through. And it was like the junior hires would go wild for it. They're like, yes, this skinny guy just ripped a phone book in half. And in the middle of the planning session, the youth pastor guy, he goes, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I'm out of town. I won't be able to be there. I won't be able to do the phone book ripping thing. To which I just casually respond, dude, no worries. I'll do it. To which my wife instinctually, keyword instinctually, responds by going, (laughs) my newlywed wife responds to me saying I'll rip a phone book by going, she immediately realizes it because she looks up and goes, and I was like, excuse me? (laughs) It was such a simple situation, rip a phone book, which became so complicated. My newlywed wife not only doubts my physical capabilities, but also maybe just lacks a healthy level of respect for her husband in general. Have you ever had a very simple situation become overly complicated. There's three questions I want to dig into this morning as we talk about fighting for our families. If you're taking notes, God loves you more. Write this down. (laughs) What if leading your family is simpler than you realize? Everybody say this. Say lead. How do you fight for your family? Well, we're talking about fighting for your family. How do you fight for your family? Well, I think that Joshua 24 kind of shows us you lead them. You lead them to the Lord. How do you fight for your family? You lead them. Okay, well, then that then begs the question, well, then how do you spiritually lead your family? That's a great question, and you can, you can direct that question towards Pastor Gary and Ann. Because um, we can literally talk about how you spiritually lead your family for hours, and we don't have that mu- the amount of time uh, this morning. That's usually how long I preach on Wednesday nights to the youth, but this morning we'll be out of here before you know it. So here's what I'll say. We're not going to dig into the 27 essential steps of leading your family spiritually. What we're going to do is I'm just going to say this. Don't overcomplicate it. One of the things that um, Amber and I love to do as next-gen pastors, we don't only work with young people. We often sit and meet and chat with parents. And so often I see that parents, when they're beginning to try to um, lead their kids spiritually, they begin to suffer with what I like to call the the paralysis of analysis, a.k.a. they overcomplicate and they overthink and they overanalyze spiritually leading their families to the point that they end up really kind of just taking a back seat and not doing much at all. And often what I come to realize, the reason that parents do this is because they somehow think and convince themselves that because they can't quote the entire Old Testament in Hebrew and they're not experts in biblical numerology, that they're not qualified to lead their family spiritually. But can I just encourage you, don't overcomplicate it. I think 
oftentimes, spiritually leading our families are much simpler than we realize. Kind of like jumping on a trampoline. Um, let's see. Chaz, can you come help me out? Chaz, come on up. Um, when I was a kid, one of my favorite Christmas gifts I ever got was a trampoline. It was much bigger than this one, Chaz. You just hang out right here for a second. And um, now I'm going to preach the whole message like this, literally. I'm a youth pastor. I've got to do something to keep teenagers' attention. Um, you know... You know when you were a kid, like when you had a trampoline and then your friends came over to hang out and you're like, want to jump on the trampoline? To which every single kid is like, duh, like you don't even got to ask. Let's go jump on the trampoline. So when your friends came to the backyard to jump on the trampoline, you invited them onto the trampoline to come hang out with you. Let me show you what you didn't do. Hey, Chaz, man, come jump on the trampoline with me, man. Wait, hold up. Ambitious, I, I can tell. Um. Before you jump on this trampoline, Chaz, you've got to understand something. You see these things? These are called springs. So what's going to happen is as you jump on this trampoline, those springs, they're going to, they're going to expand and contract. And that's going to be the thing that propels you into the air. So now, you know, go ahead. Wait, Chaz. Slow your roll, buddy. Not only do you have the springs, but you have this thing in the middle called a mat. It's this elastic thing that's going to expand and contract and it's going to propel you into the air, thus producing an abundance of fun. And so, Chaz, would you feel free? Jump up. Chaz, wait. <laughs> Hold on. You guys are already feeling how, like, how awkward this is. There's also a frame, and this metal frame is going to be the thing that holds it all together as you jump. On. Like, we're all feeling how ridiculous that is, right? Here's what we all did when we were kids. Dude, this is so much fun. Come jump with me. Come on. Chaz, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chaz. You grab a seat, man. Like, when we were kids, we didn't overcomplicate jumping on a trampoline. You know how Jesus called people to follow him? Here's how. Hey, follow me. <laughs> and he started walking. And then the people are over here. They're like, look at each other like, should we follow him? He's like, I don't know, man. This is, yeah, like, oh, let's go. Like, and they just started following him. I think maybe when it comes to leading our families, maybe parents, when it comes to leading our kids, maybe we might need to have just a little bit more childlike faith where we just don't overcomplicate it. And we just say, man, this thing's so much fun. It's so wild and it's crazy and it's cool and it's so fulfilling and there's no better joy you'll find in life. Why don't you just jump on and jump with me? What if leading your family is simpler than you realize? You know one of the easiest ways that you can lead your family? Just make time. Isn't it funny? We always say this. Oh, oh, um, I'll find the time. To... Here's the thing. You don't find time. You make time. How many are noticing the older you get, the more you have to fight for time? I love the way Chuck Swindle said this. He said, a family is a place where principles are hammered and honed on the anvil of everyday living. Can I give you a really simple challenge today when it comes to leading your family spiritually? The most youth pastor challenge you'll ever hear. Do something. Do anything. Look at your neighbor. Say, do something. Look at your other neighbor, the one you chose second. <laughs> Tell him, do anything. And I can sit here and dig into all the different ways you can lead your family, but instead I think God is probably way, way better at speaking to you. So really quick prayer together. Would everybody say this? Say, God, how can I lead my family to you? And I think right now God just spoke to some people. The second question this morning is this. What if your family's reach is further than you realize? 
I looked up the definition for family, and this is what I got back. A group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. But what if it was more? Um, God's a multi-generational God. You heard Pastor Gary talking about that a few moments ago. Often in scripture, he's referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God that his nickname is inclusive to three generations. And I think that often we need to think multi-generational. What if your family can reach the generations beyond you? Sometimes I feel like um, in multi-generational churches like us, what seems to happen is, is we almost reject the other generations instead of celebrating our differences. And it's the differences that make us reject each other. But to me, some of the differences in our generation, they're, they're not only strengths, but they're just funny. <laughs> they're just downright funny. Like one example... Um, like how different generations respond to doorbells. Pastor Gary and Ann's generation, when the doorbell rang when they were young, it was, oh my gosh, who's at the door? Let's go see. And they open the door, they're like, oh, it's the neighbors, so cool. Like you brought over, I don't know, bunk cake or whatever. Um, you know how my, like mine and Zach's generation, you know how we respond to the doorbell ringing? We mute the TV and we pretend that we're not home. <laughs> shh, shh, who knows who it is? Amber, Amber, shut up. You know how the younger generation responds to the doorbell ringing? They open the Ring app. They have a camera. They see their face, what they're wearing. They know their first, middle, and last name and their social security number. <laughs> it's so hilarious. But, but what seems to happen is we, we kind of reject the differences in our generations instead of celebrating. What if instead we valued and celebrated the different generations? One step further, what if instead... We always thought three generations down the line. Here's what this looks like. Before you make any decision, you ask yourself, how will this affect my grandkids' kids? Before you make any decision. When you have, when you have a choice to make in front of you, that could be a massive mistake. How might you respond to that differently if you were to ask yourself, how will this affect my grandkids' grandkids? Young people. How would this affect your decision-making skills if at a young age you weren't only thinking about you and your life in the next six months or your popularity or your Instagram followers, but rather you were thinking about the kids that you don't even yet have and not even just their kids, but their kids' kids. And you thought like how God thought, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three generations down the line. What if your family's reach is so much further than you realize? But what if that reach... What if it wasn't only down the line in your own family? Parents in the room, what if your friends, your, your kids' friends, are not just over at your house to hang out, but what if they're God-sent because they never get in the proximity of a healthy, godly family unless they're at your house? Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, what if there's students in our church that need spiritual parents like you? See, I didn't grow up in the church. I couldn't turn to my parents for prayer or spiritual guidance or to lead me. I didn't grow up in the church, but through the church, God gave me several spiritual parents. What if God's calling you to be that? Young people, many of you come from families 
that when you go home, they don't believe what you believe. They're not a Christian like you. And you might be asking yourself, well, how can I bring them to the Lord? And how can I, can I tell you that your reach can be so much further than you realize? And young person, maybe it's out of order. You shouldn't be leading your family. You shouldn't be the one that's the spiritual. But you can be the one that invites them to church. And God can use you in ways that you can't imagine. And, and you might be thinking, parents, grandparents, kids, like, well, this is so wild. And it sounds so crazy. Let me go back to it. Don't overcomplicate it. One of my favorite things about ministry is how God has used us, Amber and I, to be kind of spiritual parents. I'm not yet old enough to be spiritual parents to most of my students. A spiritual big brother. Let's go with that. And can I tell you, sometimes it's so simple. I had a student um, one time in our youth ministry who, he came to me maybe five, six years after being in our youth ministry, and he said, Pastor Corey, did you know that you're the first person to ever tell me they're proud of me. And his mom and dad were both still in his life. Noah Southall, um, who was leading worship this morning, he's been like a little brother of mine for the last six and a half years that we've been here at the church. And, and sometimes leading Noah um, means telling him, man, you're being a knucklehead and you're so much better than this and praying for him. But sometimes leading Noah is like playing basketball with him or, or getting the privilege of taking him to his very first professional sports game. Um, we have a picture, I think, of Noah and I at, at Staples Center at our very first uh, sports game, uh, his very first pro sports game. On the way, I was like, he was like, dude, this is my first ever sports game. And I was like, this is your first basketball game you've ever been to? He goes, no, this is my first professional sports game I've ever been to. And I'm driving, like, trying to not cry. And, like, I get the opportunity to take him to his first sports. And, um, of course, we're Lakers fans because, well, we're saved. Um, <laughs> and we got to take him to a really epic um, Lakers game where, get this, a 19-year-old, a 19-year-old Zion faced a 35-year-old LeBron, and they comboed for 69 points. Well, 23 years before that, a 19-year-old Kobe faced a 35-year-old Jordan, and they combined for 69 points. Crazy. I got to be a part of that. What if God wants you to be a part of some people's lives like that? And what if your family's reach is so much further than you realize? My last point is the band starts to head out and makes me sound more spiritual. Um, here's the last question. What if your family is more powerful than you realize? What if we started looking as, at our families not as just people that we live with, but what if rather we looked at our families as God-assembled, God-ordained teams put together for the advancement of his kingdom? What if we started looking at them as a team on mission? I think a team assembled by God like that is the most powerful thing that we can be a part of. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it says, it says, you, look at your neighbor, say you. Look at your other neighbor, the one that you chose second again, and take 15 seconds to explain to them why you keep choosing them second. Please feel free. <laughs> it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can I tell you, your family is a light on a hill. And you know what nobody does? 
Nobody goes and they light a lamp and they put it under a bowl. I am a youth pastor, and any opportunity to do illustrations with fire, I do. Don't worry, there are firefighters on the ready in this room right now. Travis, I didn't even run this by you. Is it possible to dim the stage lights so that this can, like, shine brighter? I'm, like, totally throwing an audible at the tech team. You know what you, know what you don't do? You don't take... Look at, like, oh, this would be a perfect time for the keys to start. Husbands, feel free. Throw your arm around your wife. Junior hires, not your, not your opportunity to flirt in church. <laughs> you know what you don't do? You don't light a lamp. And imagine each one of these are our family members. This guy's already gone out. He's like walked, he's abandoned the faith and his light's not shining. But imagine that you take a bowl. And what happens if you put a bowl over your entire family's light? First off, people will be like, what are you doing? That's crazy. That's not what you're supposed to do. But before you know it, slowly but surely, every single one of these lights will quickly go out. They were the strongest in their faith right there. But now they too are gone and out. And the light's been snuffed out. And a lot of times when we approach this piece of scripture, we, um, we focus on the light that we're called to be, the metaphoric light we're called to be. But Let's talk for a moment about the metaphoric bowl, the thing that seems to be snuffing out your family's light. What is that thing? Maybe for you, like me, it's the fact that you didn't grow up in a family of faith. You didn't grow up in a family where, where you guys were light to the world. And so you're thinking to yourself, how can I be what I didn't see? Can I tell you? that all the statistics that are stacked against us have no power over us. Can I tell you that your history doesn't have any determining factor on your destiny? And if you didn't come from a healthy family, God wants a healthy family to come from you. Maybe the bowl that's over your family's light, maybe it's that the enemy's been attacking you. Can I tell you, sometimes we look at the enemy's attacks as a discouragement. Look at it, look at it as an encouragement. Because when the enemy attacks you, he attacks those he's most intimidated by. So it probably means that you're doing something right. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Maybe that thing that's been snuffing out your light is that it's just you. It's just you and your family. You're a single parent. And you feel like you're all alone. Can I tell you you're single, you're not alone. God's with you. And can I tell you your entire church family has your back. You're not alone. Single moms, single dads, you guys are heroes and God's with you and he sees you. Maybe for you, the, the bowl that is over your life, maybe for you, that thing is family division. The very first attack of the enemy was an attack on the family. It was on Adam and Eve, on marriage. 
comes to him, he attacks them, and, and, and Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the devil. They both kind of blame God, and everybody's pointing the finger and playing the blame game. What if, what if when we felt division coming in our families, we recognized it for what it is? An attack of the enemy, him trying to bring division, and instead of fighting with the ones we were supposed to fight for, we fought for them. I, I had a mentor tell me one time, Corey, when fighting with your wife, I was like, oh, me and my wife never fight. We're Christians. <laughs> he said, when fighting with your wife, the goal of the fight is not to win the fight. Because if you win, he says, if I win, then my wife loses. As a husband, if my wife loses, I lose. So even when we're in, let's call them aggressive negotiations, what if we approached it more as, I'm not fighting with you, I'm fighting for you. Young person in the room who's like your relationship with your parents is shattered and broken right now. Can I tell you, that's exactly what the enemy wants. Don't let him win. What if, young person, what if the whole reason that you are in church today, what the whole reason you came to summer weekend was so that God could remind you that your parents are doing their best? One parent in the back is like, yes, I'm doing And what if, what if kids? Man, you got two teenagers. We've got 300 of them. (laughs) This is why I'm getting gray hairs, okay? Kids, what what if instead you just gave your parents grace? What if we all just allowed God to unite our hearts and our families? I think that would terrify the enemy. There's a scripture about this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. It says, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. It famously says in New King James Version, a house divided cannot stand. The enemy wants to divide and conquer. God wants to unite and conquer. And I really do think that I'm convinced that there's nothing more powerful than a family united, a godly family on mission to build the kingdom of God. And maybe, maybe that's exactly why the enemy has launched this full-scale attack on families today. And maybe, just maybe, that's exactly why we need to realize that our families are worth fighting for. Ronald Wayne, he didn't, uh, he didn't realize the value that was an apple. And there's this guy named Stan Caffey who made a similar mistake. Stan Caffey and his wife, they were uh, his newlywed wife. They were kind of purging their home when they came across a poster of the Declaration of Independence in his garage that he had there for a decade. Stan says, keep. His wife said, go. I'll let you guess who won. So along with several other items, this poster of the Declaration of Independence got donated to a local thrift store in downtown Nashville, where this other guy named Michael Sparks then bought it for $2. He said, this looks nice, Declaration of Independence. I'm a patriot. I'm going to take this and buy it for 2 bucks and put it up in my garage. So a friend of Michael sees it and goes, you know, man, this doesn't look like some intentionally distressed thing that you buy on like 
Amazon or at Ross or Marshalls or something, you should have this looked at. Long story short, he has it looked at. He has it confirmed as one of 200 copies of the Declaration of Independence that was commissioned by John Quincy Adams to be sent out into the world. And then he turns around and sells it for over $400,000. Not a bad return on a $2 investment from a thrift store. So this hits the news. And guess who sees it? Stan Cathy. I am so glad that I was not in the middle of that conversation between him and his wife. Hanging in his garage for 10 years was one of 200 copies of the Declaration of Independence that John Quincy Adams commissioned to be sent into the world in 1820. He didn't realize the treasure that was sitting in his own home. And I was was preparing and praying over this morning. I kept thinking how many of us might be overlooking the treasure in our own home. Great grandparents and grandparents, how valuable your family is, how valuable our grandparents are. Husbands, what a treasure your wife is. Wives, what a treasure your husband is. Parents, what an absolute treasure your kids are. Kids, an absolute treasure your parents are. And here's the thing about treasure. It's worth fighting for. As I close, I don't know if you know, but God actually invites you to be a part of his family. And you're going to have an opportunity to join his family in just a moment. Would you bow your heads? Would you pray with us? God, as we talk about fighting for our families, thank you that you first fought for your family. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would soften all of our hearts and realize there's no greater family that we could ever be a part of than yours. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you've never had the opportunity to join God's family. You're going to have that opportunity in just a moment. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. We start this journey of faith, this this, um, kind of initiation into God's family with prayer. It's just words that we say with our mouth that we believe in our heart. But here at the bridge, we're a family. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray together. So all over this place, would you just wrap your heart around these words? You want to be a part of God's family. You want to profess Jesus as your Savior. You want forgiveness over your sins. Can I tell you, this is perhaps the greatest first step of fighting for your family that you can take by entering God's family. Would you repeat these simple words right after me? Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've sinned. I've messed up. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. So today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. No turning back and no looking back. Thank you for forgiving me and thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we welcome people into God's family right now? You know, one way that we fight is through prayer. And I've asked a few of our students to come join us on stage because I just thought it would be really cool and really unique and really special if we had some young people who have that kind of uh, trampoline type faith to come and pray for families.
So would you do me a favor, all over this place, would you stand to your feet? If you're comfortable, like you're receiving something from the Lord, would you just place your hands right out in front of you as these young people cover you in prayer? Chess. Dear Jesus, I pray that the grandparents and great-grandparents in the room just realize how important they are to their family and how much they are loved. I just pray that any thoughts of unimportance that they have or have had or may be having, or maybe having, just leave their minds and never return. Lord, I just pray that they know that any thoughts of unimportance that they do have are a lie from the enemy, and they realize how much they are needed in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I pray for our parents in here. I ask that you would reveal to them how needed they are. Allow them to realize that you have entrusted them to raise their children. Allow them to realize how important they are in their child's life. Allow them to be the mentors that you have designed them to be, Fill them with wisdom and grace for the situations that may be confusing. I ask that if there are rocky marriages, God, that you would bring them closer than they have ever been. I ask that you continue to bless them, continue to show them the path that you want them to be on, God. Continue to bring them closer to you. I ask that you would strengthen marriages right now. I ask that you would fill the parents with the Holy Spirit as they lead their families and allow them to continue their children, to raise their children through your eyes, God. In your name we pray. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning, God. I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit over our youth and allow them to really embrace your goodness. I pray that you soften hearts, God, and that they open up to you and allow you to come and work inside them, Lord. I pray that they would be able to turn their hearts toward any family or friends in their life that might not know you yet. And I pray that they radiate your character, Lord. I pray for any teens that have wandered from their faith and away from you and have given into the toxic culture of the world, Lord God. I pray that you tug on their hearts and you bring them back to your house. I pray that they recommit their lives to you and actually follow through with that outside of the church and in their day-to-day -day life. No matter who surrounds them, Lord, I pray that you give them the courage and boldness to just be who you made them to be, God. I pray that they start building a relationship with you that flourishes, Lord. And I pray for the youth that may come from broken or complicated homes, God. I pray that you would allow them to break any generational curses and that you would lay the armor of God over them and shield them as you guide and walk them through the amazing plans you have in store for them, Jesus. I thank you for the youth, Lord, and the way they could so easily be a light and vessel for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God, finally we pray. Uh, we fight with prayer, but we also fight in worship. So God, I pray as we worship you one more time, that you would download in each and every single one of us a heart to fight for our families, because they're worth fighting for. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's worship God this morning.
Amen. How many of you know our God is a generational God? Before you're seated, we just want to take a moment because we recognize that maybe you made a decision to follow Christ today. Maybe you very simplistically just put your faith in Christ this morning and said, I want to follow Jesus. We want to help you get started in that journey of faith. Before you're seated, we want to tell you how we can help you get started because we feel it's our responsibility. Right after service, we have a gift that we would love to give you if you made that decision today. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's just a small book, a simple book that will help you get started walking with God, and we want to give it to you. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right at the conclusion of service, we're going to have prayer teams that will be down here. You can walk right up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ and they'll give you the book. We don't need anything from you, but we are here to help in any way that we can. If you made that decision, or maybe you just need someone to pray with you today, come see one of our prayer teams. That's why they are here. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. Our team is there. They'll give you the same thing. We just want to help you start walking with God because we're so grateful that you made that decision. No better decision you could ever make. So as a church family, we want to welcome you into the family of God this morning. Congratulations on that great decision today. Go ahead and be seated this morning if you would. We're nearing the conclusion of service. We'll be done here in just a couple of moments, but hang tight with us because we do have a couple of very important things that we want to do. You know, it would only be right that we just thank Pastor Corey for that great hand or for that great message that he brought this morning. Give him a hand. Thanks, Corey. Right now, we just want to take a moment and we want to honor God by bringing our tithes and our offerings into his house. And, you know, I know that when we give, we give to honor God. We give to put him first and to say, thank you so much, Lord, for all that you do for me. God is always faithful. So how would we choose not to be faithful? You know, this morning, though, as I come into the house of God, I recognize that getting to be a part of a multi-generational church helps me understand what it is that I'm sowing into when I give every week. So I want to say again, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving because it's your giving that helps us do everything that we're doing in the house but also outside of this place as well, through our missions partnerships, through our local outreach efforts and community care. We're so grateful for that. But when you give this morning, be reminded that you're sowing into a generational church and that you're honoring God in the process. How many know that God is faithful? Amen. And that is why we honor him. So again, there's different ways that you can give on the screen. Please choose whatever is most convenient for you. If you're a guest with us this morning, please know there's never any pressure or compulsion to give. But if you'd like to contribute today, we believe that God will will honor you for honoring him. So thank you so, so much for your generosity. You know, today on summer weekend Sunday, we want to let you know about a couple things that are coming up in church life that ha- that are really connected and related to our next-gen ministries here at the bridge. Next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday is Promo Sunday, and we are excited about this because we love the opportunity to get to connect with the parents of kids who are going into junior high. So if you have a student that is exiting fifth grade and going into sixth grade, that means they are moving into Bridge Youth. And that's a big, big step, and we're excited for it, but we know that for a lot of parents that can be a little bit overwhelming and sometimes even for your student as well. So we want to celebrate your student. We want to meet with you parents and let you know what Bridge uh, Bridge Youth life looks like, not just for you as a parent, but also for your student. We want them to meet their connect group leader as they move into Bridge Youth. And we're going to have many other students that will be there celebrating them as they come to join Bridge Youth. And it's happening next Sunday at uh, 1045 in the Youth Center. Okay, so that's between services 
next week. Parents, please come bring your child with you that's moving into Bridge Youth because we want to celebrate them. We want to inform you and we want to help them really just do this transition very well and very successfully, okay? Next Sunday at 1045. And then also Chasing Paradise Kids Day Camp is coming up at the end of June on June 27th through the 30th. We're really excited about this. This is for all of our elementary kids age first grade up through fifth grade. We're going to be celebrating them. They'll have a great week. Moms and dads, you will have a little bit more space in your house this summer while your kids are at Kids Day Camp. So if you haven't registered your kids yet, you can go to our website, thebridgechurch.tv or to the Bridge app and you can register your kids. It's going to be an awesome week. Hey, listen, they're going to have a great time and a lot of fun, but above all else, they're going to hear the message of the gospel and they're going to learn about Jesus. That means they can bring their friends who are going to learn about Jesus. That means they're going to have four days of our pastors and our team pouring into them and we're going to give them a really great time that week, but we are excited to get to tell them about Jesus. So register your kids and their friends. It's going to be an awesome week, all right? Before we conclude, the very last thing that we want to do this morning is this is Memorial Day weekend. So we want to take a moment and we want to give honor where honor is due. And just remember those who gave their lives and paid the ultimate price. As we move into a holiday week and you might have plans to celebrate and do some things with an extra day off this weekend. But we want to encourage everybody in the house to take time to remember those who gave their lives so that we could have the freedom that we have in this nation. So let's take a moment and check out the screens. Thirteen folds. Each fold a reminder of a life spent in service. Service to country, service to people, protecting God-given rights, preserving freedoms. Thirteen folds. At each fold we remember the friends and family left behind. The mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters left to pick up the pieces. Thirteen folds. And we remember the scriptures. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Each one loved greatly. We also remember that Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And today we pray, God be near those who need comfort. So, draw close to those who mourn. Make your presence and appreciation known. Let this church be a safe place, a comforting place. And let us honor those who have given their lives in service to this country. Thirteen folds to signify a life given to service. Amen. We all know that freedom isn't free. And we're so grateful to live in the free nation that we live in. Before we conclude, I would just like to say, for us as we planned this day, it was a little bit awkward for us to make summer weekend happen on Memorial Day weekend for this moment right here. But one thing that occurred to me this morning is that we want to be a church where we make sure with every generation that comes through the doors that we never forget the generations that have come before us, that paid the price 
that laid their lives down. We have many people who are servicemen and women in our church, but this is the day where we remember those who paid the ultimate price. We don't forget them. I want to ask if you would stand to your feet one more time before we go. Let's pray a prayer over our nation and for families today. Father, we thank you for those who have gone before us. We thank you for those who paid the ultimate price. God, there are many people today that could name a name of somebody who gave their life long ago. Maybe they could even name a name of somebody who gave their life more recently. Father, we thank you, first of all, for the freedom we have because of that price that was paid. Even in our own salvation, we recognize that we have what we have because Jesus laid down his life. But I pray that today, God, you would comfort those who have lost someone in service. And I pray, Father, that there are families, individuals who are affected today by loss, Father. I thank you, Jesus, that that freedom stands as a reminder of the price that was paid. But I pray, God, that you would bring comfort to those who need comfort today, that you would be close to those who mourn. And as Memorial Day comes this weekend, I pray that if they mourn and if they have sorrow in their hearts, they would be comforted and that they would be reminded, God, that they can look ahead, Father, with freedom in their hearts and joy in front of them because of that price that has been paid, knowing that you are near and that you are with them, Father. God, I thank you for this amazing nation that we live in. It's broken, and for all of its flaws and its faults, Father, we recognize that we are a free people, and we are thankful to you for that. We honor you this Memorial Day weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, one more time, let's just give it up and thank God for all that he has done today. Hey, guess what? We got food trucks outside right after this service. It's going to be a great afternoon. Hang out with your family. Grab some food at our food trucks. Hang out, meet some people, and say hello to your church family. We love you. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. We will see you next Sunday.